I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 87. Wanted to say uh, thanks to everybody that listened to last week's mini-sode, although it was uh, hardly mini. It was almost a full hour in which we uh, talked about 12 Angry Men, and we also gave, we spent a surprising amount of time predicting, uh, making predictions about this week's episode, uh, which we will follow up on a little bit later. But uh, first, I want to welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Hi, everybody. Josh, how's it going? Well, it's going all right, Tyler. I'm here. Really, really, what else can I do? Well, I mean, you could be here. Nope, I can show up. That's it. All right. That's it. I'm just saying, like, being somewhere physically doesn't necessarily mean you're there emotionally. That's all I can give you. I know that. I know that. We've been friends for a while. I know that. I know better than to expect any kind of emotional investment. Well, you know they say 90% of friendship is just showing up. Who said that? I don't know. I don't know. Some bad friend. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay. Although that is probably, that's a good portion of it. Just show up and, uh, you know, like uh, back when I would do plays and stuff, my friends would show up. Exactly. They would sit there. They would not applaud. They would often they hated the show. boo on a regular yeah. basis. Oh, yeah. But you know what? I appreciate that they, they were, were there. there. Exactly. So, uh, all right. Moving on. So that's Josh. Those of you that are, are new to the show. Hi, everyone. That's that's him. And that's what you can expect from him. That sort of. It's just more of this. Yeah. Um, uh, no real announcements to speak of uh, this time around, except uh, that in about five days from when this goes up, uh, be on the lookout for Battleship Pretension, episode 334, I think in which uh, our buddy Josh is going to be a guest. That's me. Yeah. I'm taking over all your podcasts. Not yours, I mean the listener. Whatever you listen to, I'm going to be on it eventually. Give it time. All podcasts. Yeah. Just show up at the Comedy Bang Bang studio, just do some kind of dumb voice, and you got it. I just knock on the door, get a character, there we go. Yeah. What kind of character would you do over there? Um, i do like a a crazy Italian guy who's like, oh, my meatballs. Oh, okay. It would be... (laughs) All right. That sounds pretty good. It's a I fantastic that, idea. Yeah. I've been and, shopping it around all the podcasts. Radio Lab said no. Um, but, uh, you know, it'll work eventually. That's the thing. You just show up with a with that accent and just saying, my meatballs. Mamma mia. And, uh, and then Scott Ackerman will just ask you questions. And then you <laughs> probably... He'll shape the character for you. <laughs> Which is fine. But uh, anyway, so yeah. So be on the lookout for that. We'll, uh, we'll post it. Uh, no, I guess we won't post it here. I should explain. Uh, very soon, I'm going to be uh, out of the country for just over two weeks. And so uh, we're going to try and fit in one more mini-sode before I go. But uh, just, to, yeah, sorry about that. So we're not going to be recording. We're not going to be posting anything while I am gone. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully this will tide you over. And what is this? What is the this 
of this episode? I don't even know. Your notes are in front of you. So, oh, that's all right. Okay. Last week in the mini-sode, we mentioned that we would be talking about a movie that no one was clamoring to hear our take on, because <laughs> um, everyone just assumed they would know what we thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were probably right. And it is Eat, Pray, Love. came out in 2010. It was directed by Ryan Murphy, who, who co-wrote the film with Jennifer Salt. It's based on uh, the book by Elizabeth Gilbert. The book, I believe, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it spent 150 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow! And so they, uh, and because it, it's a, a sort of a, a travel log and a memoir, uh, they figured this could make a this could make for a pretty good movie. And uh, from a visual standpoint, as far as locations and such, I would say that it does. But we'll get more into that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I forgot to write down. Uh, a summary, but I, I'll try to summary, summarize it right now. Uh, it's based on a true story uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert, who was a successful writer uh, several years ago, and then just she, on her own story. On her own story, yes, thank you. Uh, in which she got a divorce from her husband, and then spent uh, about a year, right around a year, uh, traveling to different places in the world, uh, Italy and then India, and then Bali, um, so that she could spend time, for lack of a better term, finding herself. Uh, it was uh, There was a spiritual quality to it. There was, as one might expect, a, a culinary quality to it. Um, and then while she was... And then in the last leg of her trip in Bali, she actually met... Uh, somebody that uh, would go on to become be her her second husband. So, uh, spoilers. Yeah, sorry everybody, but um, but yeah, and and she wrote a, a second book, uh, the name of which I don't have in front of me. I'm sorry, um, in which she talks about married life and and you know with her new husband and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, it's just uh, going from place to place and meeting new people and uh, eating, praying, and Josh loving. Oh. So, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Loving. Loving, absolutely. I like to say loving without the G at the end. Whole episode about loving. Yeah. Do you, we'll, we'll take your questions. <laughs> um, so, okay. Anybody that listened last week, they knew that, uh, that we have... We made some predictions about... Uh, what we would think of this film because the film uh could be called a chick flick i don't necessarily like that term uh it does seem to it it did seem to appeal primarily to women uh the i looked this up the the week that it came out it came in second at the box office second to the expendables Um, so those are two very different audiences (laughs) clearly that weekend it's rare that you see a weekend that is like so split down the gender line oh yeah (laughs) like not not many women going to see the expendables not many men at eat pray love yeah i mean i don't i have to assume one gender or another either saw what they wanted or got dragged to something they didn't want to see. That's probably why Eat, Pray, Love is as long as it is, because they were like, well, The Expendables is this long. we got to match them, because you probably. know the couples are going just splitting, and then they want to be out at the same time. I would venture to say Expendables is not as it's long probably as not. <laughs> so, but uh But, yeah, and so, um, so already we're starting to make fun of it. And I do want to say uh, at the top, before we get into it, because we are going to be 
very honest, and we may at times get a little insulting. So hopefully, hopefully we never stray too far into that territory, and we can remain civil. But first, I do want to say that okay, uh, Eat, Pray, Love is based on a true story, and it was written by Elizabeth Gilbert. These are her experiences, and so you know, I, I'm I'm reluctant to speak you know, derisively or, or negatively about these things because I don't want people to say, oh, you're judging this woman. And the fact is, if I read the book, if I met her, I might not like her. I might like her. Uh, I might, you know, agree with her decisions or disagree. My agreement doesn't really matter that much in the long run. But, um, but that's beside the point. Um, this is a movie. And so... The only version of Liz Gilbert that we have is the one that the movie shows us. And in that way, she's no different than any other movie character, real or fictional. And so, the, some of you maybe have read the book. Some of you maybe have uh, you know, seen interviews with her and you know who she really is, what she's really like. And as we talk about the character, as we talk about some of the character's choices... Um, it may sound like it'll be very easy to say, oh, those guys are bashing this person that they don't even know. We're just talking about the movie. If it if it interacts with real life, okay, that's fine. But to me, it's no different than talking about Oliver Stone's Nixon. Hmm. You know, it's just clearly it's there's there might be some fictionalized qualities to it, um, even if the facts themselves are true. So that's that's the deal. Um, this is all we have to go on. So hopefully you will cut us uh, that type of slack. Yeah. Um, all right. <clears throat> Eat, pray, love. Here we go. Uh, a quick uh, a quick overview of our predictions. Uh, my predictions were that the film would fall prey to uh, Aaron Brockovich syndrome, which is another Julia Roberts film, in which the supporting characters I believe the way I phrase it is it's as though they re- they got the script ahead of time mm-hmm. and recognized oh this is not about me this is about someone else I am a supporting character in somebody else's story as such I should be very accommodating to them mm-hmm. and the film is not that in some ways and it is in others It's it, it, it depends on the character right it seems like you could probably, I, I would guess, that the people who um, are major parts in the book and are uh, therefore based on a deeper knowledge of a real person, mm-hmm. those are probably the ones that get a, a fairer shake. Probably, yes. Um, so, like, uh, i trying to think of some of the other characters. The people that she works with, to a point. To a point. Uh, the, Viola Davis, at least. The other guy's kind of... And even even Viola Davis, who plays, I think, her publisher or something mm-hmm. like that, somebody that she works with one one way or another, um, she is accommodating, but she also plays the role of the woman who shows up and gives a one gives one line of uh, 
of advice that sounds very sage and all that. There's no real character there. So she is accommodating. She's not opposing our main character, but she, she serves a, she is a function of our main character. Yeah. Well, she does. I mean, she, I think she's a foil to her in at least that one scene. She says like, you shouldn't do this because of this and this and that. Like she kind of, she does oppose her in that way, but not in a strong enough way to actually change the character's opinion. Right. It's, it's not unlike in a film where you have a character who, is saying a monologue, but you don't want to just have them say a monologue. So you'll occasionally have someone there to say, well, what about this? Just so that you could have the character. So that that's why she's there is to provide maybe uh, the audience a voice. Yeah. Or like the janitor who pops out and says, hey, you guys can't go in there. And right. And totally ignored. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Purely a function of the story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so, but there are other characters. For example, Liz's ex-husband and her ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, and and one of her other love interests. Um, where, frankly, I went in really expecting these guys to not be three-dimensional characters, mm-hmm. to not be allowed to have feelings of their own. The only feelings that matter are hers. Yeah. That is not the case. We no. are we are allowed to see their pain. We are allowed to see their their sadness and their reasons for doing what they do and that is something that surprised me that's good yeah that is a very good thing that's that's a a huge step in the right direction for this film uh but where it does fall into aaron brockovich syndrome is smaller characters who show up and basically for for example you know uh liz will be at a local healer or something like that this that's this is the worst one in the movie the one you're bringing up and so she's a, she got a cut, and so somebody is uh, fixing her cut, and then this woman, this other woman, bursts in. Absolute stranger. Yeah, total stranger, bursts in and says, "Oh, there's the you know," and talking about her life and all that, and then she says, "Oh, hello," and then there's the briefest of introductions, mm-hmm. and then she says, "I'm having a big party tonight. You should come," and says, "You should come" in the same way that, for example, if I was throwing a party. I would tell you, Josh, oh, you need to come. Like, we are old friends. Yeah. And I and I feel like, oh, you should be there. It's like, she doesn't know this woman. No. There's no reason that she should be there, except yeah. maybe, oh, random stranger, I'm having a party. The more, the merrier. And you're one more person there. Awesome. But it's not that. It's, no, it's, it's this as, weird it, familiarity. It's as if they're friends already. And that, that tends to happen with a lot of the smaller characters that she runs yeah. into throughout the movie. They seem to want to instantly become extremely friendly with her. Yeah. Which is which just rings untrue. And, it's, and it is most notable with a uh, character named uh, Richard, played by Richard Jenkins, who the character is... Ra- is kind of a series of cliches and the things that he has to say, but Richard Jenkins is a consummate professional and manages to turn those into a real character. But nonetheless, like you just see him, you know, making eyes at this, at this woman, but not romantic eyes, more just general intrigue. And admittedly, this is in India. He's a, he's an American. He can tell she's probably an American. There's not a lot of them around, so there is probably that. Well, I would have given it more if there were fewer of them around, but there there do seem to be a lot of white people there. Yes. And anytime they're speaking, they're speaking American English. Right. So it, I feel like maybe the movie in maybe if it had tried to be less diverse in that moment, it would have been better for this for the final okay. product. Yeah, I mean, just the idea of being 
in a in a place that while you are comfortable there, it is still unfamiliar, and you are st- and you still stick out. And then you see someone who's just like you, and it's like, oh, this yeah. is here we go. But it's not that, and so he just comes over and immediately just makes himself very comfortable. And some of that is like a shortcut for the character himself to show that oh, he's a very brash type of guy, and you know he's just going to say what he thinks and all that. But it also is just it's as though just before the camera. just when the camera lands on him, you see him like he's flipping through the script and then like throws it away and says, Oh, Oh, okay. Now's my time to talk to this woman. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, the star of the star of the show. So the film does do it and it doesn't. Uh, I'm very happy in the places that it doesn't uh, fall prey to that. Um, and, uh, and we'll talk more about that a little later. So your first prediction, what was it, Josh? It was that Julia Roberts would have a moment where she dances in the rain. Were you correct? I was, in fact, not correct. You were not correct. That's too bad. So, I, eat, pray, love, my apologies. Yeah. I thought there would be a dancing in the rain yeah. scene. You were incorrect. I was half incorrect, I feel like. So you're doing pretty good here, eat, pray, love. Now, my next one is that uh, Christian theology would be rejected in favor of Eastern religion. Now... I'm half wrong on that because Christian theology is not mentioned or yeah. acknowledged as a as a thing at all. Uh, now, I do not expect every film to uh, I, I don't expect every film to at some point have a character acknowledge that there is such a thing as Christianity. Uh, I don't care about mm-hmm. that. But it is interesting that uh, the character does go looking for answers. Uh, she does in a moment of sadness. Uh, and desperation, she starts praying, and it's clear this is not a thing she does very often. And then she, when she decides she wants to become a more spiritual person, it seems it seems to me that no matter where you are or where you're fr- or where you're from, if you are going to embark on a certain journey, your first instinct would probably be to go with what is most readily available and what is the most familiar, which in her case would probably be American Christianity uh, or maybe Judaism or something like that. But she immediately finds, you know, uh, I'm not sure what you would call it. Uh, Was it, uh, it was kind of a Buddhism type of thing, but it was also maybe like Hinduism in there. Basically there's a guru that she's following. It's a little, little, I think it's closer to Hindu. It's probably closest to like Hare Krishna, which is not, uh, a uh, you know a super it's not as popular as it was in the seventies in the, right. in the public in the American public scene at least but it seemed very similar to that like the chanting and the yeah. uh, the it has like it might be something that's similar to Hare Krishna but it's not the same I don't know if it's called it's called Krishnaism or something I don't know exactly yeah um, I should I should know that but and, uh, uh, and it should be noted I, I feel kind of bad that I'm a little vague on the details but at the same time the film itself is vague on the yeah details. the film is vague on exactly what it is it's it's some brand of uh, Indian Indian uh, probably Hinduism because they do I think Hinduism because I, I think they mentioned Ganesh they reference some of the gods yes. of, of uh, the Hindu mythology no, yeah, the Hindu and I, system yeah and I just remember that so so I'm half wrong on that but you know I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not thrilled that I'm that uh, that I'm wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean the film is doing something right. I would have liked to. And again, it's based on a book. Maybe in the book she addresses more directly why the stuff that it, that most people would be familiar with. You know, I mean, when uh, what is it? Is it crimes and misdemeanors or Hannah and her sisters? When Woody Allen goes uh, entertains various religions. 
I think it's Hannah and her sisters. I think it's, I've seen Crimes and Misdemeanors more recently, and I don't. And that that I remember that, but it seems more distant to me. Okay, I, I think it might be Hannah and her sisters, and so. You know, so even a character like that who is who actively re- rejects a lot of these things, even he gives these these things a try. Um, mm-hmm. And so, whereas with her, we just see her immediately jump into this thing, this very vague, amorphous type of belief. But we'll talk more about that uh, a little bit later. Your second prediction, what was it? It was that there would be at least five moments in the movie where I would groan because of a line or uh, a or development. Yeah. yeah. Um. <sighs> If we're talking straight up groan, mm-hmm. I think that wasn't true, but uh, but there were enough moments when I was frustrated or would slap my forehead or something like that. So yeah. I think once I remembered what my prediction was, I was like, I feel like if I groan now, I'm doing it on purpose. So right. I kind of ruined my own prediction. Um, there are there were probably more than five moments throughout the movie where yeah. I thought that's no one would ever say that. That's ridiculous. That uh, I, I don't know, and I, I hate to. Those sound like dismissive criticisms, but in the midst of a film, especially when you are really trying to to get on board with that film, mm-hmm. then when I think it it has somebody say something, that uh, most of Richard Jenkins' dialogue is ridiculous. Yeah, it, and it's. I think they're trying to make him endearing, but. It comes off as as a he comes off as a as a buffoon or something until you get into a little bit of the meat of his personality. Yeah, he speaks in these dumb aphorisms that no one would ever use. Yeah, and that I've never heard before. And it it's I think it's just lazy writing is is the best I can. Yeah, say. it absolutely is, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I'm I'm even kind of okay with uh, some movies having characters who just sort of spout the, this kind of pop psychology and, and just kind of general philosophy just in the most quotable way possible. I'm even kind of okay with that. I don't necessarily like it, but I'm okay with it. But this is, this is supposed to be reality. Yeah. Um, this is supposed to be her story. It's supposed to be the world that we all live in. And I feel like nobody... And you know what? Maybe people feel like that's what we do on this show. Hey, but maybe you know so. what? Some of our episodes are two hours long. <laughs> we can, we clearly do not sum things up in a single sentence. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe maybe that doesn't maybe that isn't a problem for some people, but it it definitely was for me. And then I think there's a couple. And I mean, we'll, we'll get to more of the specific things that we didn't like about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were. Uh, I guess the best way to say it is there were several moments when I feel like the film is artificially pushing its story forwards. Mm-hmm. Part of that may be because her journey takes place over a year. There would have to be a lot of developments. A lot of these characters or people that she becomes friends with yeah. in real life, you know, that, that those would develop slowly over time. Um, there would be natural developments rather than a movie where they're like, all right, we got to get the rest of this in quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in it's a long movie it's over two hours and 20 minutes yeah or maybe right around it's right around there too two hours and 20 minutes and um so even with that length they're stretching to try and like pack all these characters in and get uh, you know get enough with these characters but it, it it's too much it's it's trying to do too much in uh in i guess not the best format for 
Ah, telling I'm, how these stories. I'm glad you said format because I was just about to ask. Uh, themes aside, I mean the the film explores a lot of things in a way. First off, the things that it explores, I'm fine with exploring, but I think the conclusions that it comes to are incorrect. But that's actually beside the point. The question I was going to ask is, do you think this film would have made a better documentary than uh, a narrative film with actors and a script? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, because I think then it, it, then it gets to the reality of these places a little bit more, which mm-hmm. I think is something that we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, a bone that I had to pick with it. Um, but also it, it doesn't feel like it's beholden then to a certain, uh, narrative. It doesn't have to force a narrative upon this character. It right. just would happen naturally. Yeah. And um, the weird thing is there is already a natural narrative. It's somebody who spent a certain amount of time going to different places and ostensibly absorbing aspects of the culture and meeting people. That's a story. Yeah. There is a narrative to that. And yet somehow <laughs> Eat, Pray, Love, and it's and it's something that really happened, and yet somehow Eat, Pray, Love feels artificial. And, and turning it into this, like, chick flick movie type of narrative, mm. um, it just it just loses a lot of its... I, I would imagine, having not read the book, I would imagine the book is a lot more insightful, even if I don't agree with the conclusions of the character right. that, the, that the writer comes to. I, I would have to assume that the book is more insightful and is more thoughtful and uh, just comes off as more natural. Like, we already talked about these characters that pop in for no reason and are her best friends all of a sudden. Yeah. That, every time one of those things happens, that's a grown moment for me. It, it reminds me a lot of the movie The Blind Side, in which you have an interesting story, but they just feel the need to make it as accessible as possible, and in doing so, I think they they compromise the integrity of the story itself. I mean, what's his name? Michael Orr mm-hmm. from uh, Blindside. Um, I mean, he saw the movie, the real guy, and he said, and, he, and w- in an interview, first off, he had tremendous good humor, and he just said, well, look, I knew how to play football. <laughs> this suburban, this wealthy suburban wife did not teach me how to play football. He's like, I was a little sharper than the film made me seem. And then he said, but I guess I understand it's a movie, you know? Yeah. And it's just, and so there are a number good for of, him. Like, yeah, that's a fantastic attitude to have uh, about a movie that really doesn't have a lot of respect for that character. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, I mean, if you were one of these people, like there's a, a girl that uh, Liz meets in India who, um, who is arranged to be married and all that. And so she approaches Liz, not unlike the Richard character. She just shows up and starts talking. Um, and conveniently enough, a lot of her issues about arranged, about an arranged marriage, uh, are very similar to Liz's views on marriage in general at that, at that time. And I found myself wondering, I was like, I don't know if that girl is based on anybody, but if she is, I wonder if she were to watch this movie, would she think that is not how I am? And that is certainly not how we started talking. I -hmm. look like an absolute crazy person walking up to a stranger and just unloading my problems. Um, But yeah, so, okay. All that to say, those are the types of moments that made me groan. And we'll talk about more overarching things that we had problems with later and we have uh and we've already touched on my third prediction which is that there will be what i what i call uh 
hallmark philosophy, which is to say uh, lines and sayings and you know aphorisms and moments, you know, nuggets of wisdom that sound like they could come out of a hallmark card, um, which is to say simple, easy to understand, not at all complex. And frankly, I think any type of philosophy, it could be spiritual philosophy, it could be economic philosophy, it could be artistic philosophy. I feel like any conclusions that somebody has come to, it has probably taken them a long time to get there, and it will probably take more than a sentence or two to explain it. But this film dumbs down everything and makes it super simple as though, oh, this is the easiest thing in the world to to understand. And certainly to implement and it's just and it winds up being frustrating because you know i know that and again i don't know what the book is like i could see the book actually expounding on a lot of these but i could see people watching a movie like this thinking that it's therapeutic and then they try to put these things into into practice only to discover that oh these two sentences are not going to help me that much and again it's entirely possible people could look at, you know, a Bible verse that people post on Facebook and say, well, that verse is not enough for me and uh, or or whatever. So it can happen with anything. Uh, but the film, which purports to be about this woman uh, just discovering all these different ways of living um, and learning, and it doesn't seem that interested in in what she's learning only that she is learning which then brings me to your third prediction what was that uh well what we have written down here is the character will not learn anything which is <laughs> i think not exactly that, that those may have been my words but uh i don't think that's exactly what i meant i think mm, what i'm what i was predicting is more that the character would wouldn't really have a an, an actual change right um that she would start out feeling one way and she would also finish the movie feeling that way mm-hmm. um if you know anything about uh literature there are oftentimes you categorize characters as either static or dynamic characters static characters kind of stay the same or dynamic characters go over some kind of change yeah and static um, characters are often supporting by their nature if you right. have a lead in no matter no matter what medium if you have a lead they are hopefully a dynamic character mm-hmm. and liz kind of isn't no not really and i think the film wants her to be mm-hmm. and wants to kind of present that she is but i think it mistakes um her process of feeling like she is self-actualizing um i think it mistakes that for her actually making a change in the way she views the world right i don't think she changes at all in that way i think in the beginning of the movie she thinks i'm unhappy in my marriage i'm unhappy living here and doing what i do in new york i will be happier if i go travel the world if i see these places that i've wanted to see and if i you know dive into this uh you know eastern philosophy that she's uh, entranced by and uh you know go to see this medicine man that she wants to see in bali and that's exactly what the movie just says yes you were right you are happier now that you went and you uh, lived life happily in italy uh, uh 
immersed yourself in this Eastern philosophy in India and uh, then went to, to Bali to help this medicine man. Yeah. And, and we'll talk more about her character cause that's, that's, we'll start at that point getting into the themes of the film. Um, and, uh, you know, where we think it, it's lacking and that sort of thing. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little, a little bit later. So, um, so, uh, I did not expect us to, uh, take so long on our predictions, but at the same time in talking about them, we wound up talking a lot about the film in general. That's covered a lot of other things yeah. and then we don't have to kind of bounce around right. covering those. So, um, but that's the thing is I don't want people to think that I just I I mostly didn't like the movie, but I am of the opinion that there are things that you can like in a movie no matter what. Yeah. Just every movie probably has something that you can say, you know what, this thing is not good at all, but that is pretty solid. And Dinosaur so, Valley Girls has got that music. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I mean, it, we look, we all know about the the music from Dinosaur, Dinosaur Valley, Valley Girls. Girls. Everybody's on top of that. Um but uh, that is for no one. That is literally for no one. Here, here, here's what uh, what you can do. Um, our companion film features an actress named Karen Black, who you may be familiar with, with whom you may be familiar. My apologies. Um, you can uh, check out her IMDb page. It kind of gets crazy once you get into the 80s and 90s. She's in a film called Dinosaur Valley Girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, just check out some of the user reviews on those. Apparently, some people found it disappointing. <laughs> Moving on. So, um, and yeah, and I can't even, and to talk about why they found it disappointing, I, I, I don't think I could even talk about it on this show. So, um, okay, so I, I do want to first talk about the things that I liked and responded to uh, about this film. The first thing, I've already mentioned it, is allowing the characters that have been hurt by Liz and that's my phrasing. I'm not totally sure if the film itself would put it that way. But the people that feel hurt as a result of something she did, it allows them to feel that hurt. Um, and I think that these men are played fairly well. One is Billy Crudup, who's an actor that I think is mostly underrated. I think he's pretty solid. I thought he was really great and almost famous. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's in a movie called Jesus Son. I don't know if you ever saw that. I haven't seen that he's one. good in that. Uh and as much as much uh, press as Jackie Earl Haley gets in Watchmen, Billy Crudup is quite good as Doctor Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and he's in just in everything that he's in. I always enjoy him, and he's not in this film very long. He plays Stephen, her her first husband, and the character is kind of he's kind of oblivious. He's not totally reliable, um, but he does genuinely love her um but at times he seems like he's not really willing to step out of his comfort zone Mm -hmm. and so there are a lot of elements to that character that could have made him seem kind of loutish um and just just totally oblivious and billy crudup brings real humanity that character james franco plays the the guy that she gets with after her marriage is over and that's a character that, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of hippy dippy. He's, you know, a, an actor who may or may not be good. Um, and the film doesn't give him a lot to do. There are moments where he seems very selfish and very moody and all of that. And yet James Franco still makes that work. So a lot of the performances are, are good. And the last one is Richard Jenkins. As we mentioned already, 
as a character named Richard that she meets in India. The character is just nothing but platitudes, but there is, and Richard Jenkins does what he can with those, but there is one scene specifically. It's, I would say, the best scene of the film um, where he, the character is allowed a monologue about um, the things that he's been through in the past, the things that he feels like he needs to be forgiven for, the things he struggles to forgive himself for. And it's a, a history of alcoholism and, the, and losing his family as a result of that. And it's a fairly well-written monologue. It comes out of nowhere. I mean, it sticks, it sticks out like a sore thumb, but the monologue itself is still pretty good. Yeah. He performs it beautifully. Um, and, you know, props to Ryan Murphy, who never cuts back to Liz to see her reaction. Mm-hmm. It stays in a static shot on Richard Jenkins. Like, it's one of those things where... When something when something's good, sometimes the director just needs to get out of the way, and that can be a choice. And mm-hmm. he made that choice, and he yeah. made it well. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, Javier Bardem plays Felipe, uh, the the guy that she meets in Bali and falls in love with. And uh, Javier Bardem is a he's a charming guy. Yeah, I, th- I think he he's both charming. He has his charisma, but he's just a fantastic actor also, and he's yeah. just interesting to watch. I feel like he makes all of his characters interesting one yeah. way or the other. Yeah, and here's the thing, and he's somebody who, without really doing anything too remarkably different, he creates such specificity. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the character from Skyfall. Uh, that's the actor from Skyfall. Yeah, he also plays a James Bond villain, and he plays uh, a, a heartless killer from No Country for Old Men. It's yeah. the same guy, and yet here is this charming man that that it makes total sense that she falls for. Yeah, and did you ever see Before Night Falls? Mm-mm. Oh, he's he was nominated for Best Actor for that, and uh, I don't know if I if I think he should have won, but it's a great performance. If you haven't seen Before Night Falls, seek it out. It's good stuff. And then he's in uh, the Spanish movie, which I can't remember the name of. Where he plays that uh, famous artist who... Oh, The Sea Inside. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's great in that, too. Wait, and I didn't see that one. That's a totally different... Again, a totally different character. Like, yeah. And it's just... And that's the thing. It's just through mannerisms, through cadence, and just... with With this character, he does need to just be a guy who's mostly relaxed and laid back. And he plays that really well. Because in that moment, you need to be... the 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 best thing you need to be is or the most important thing you need to be is in the moment, comfortable inside your own skin. Um, an example that I give for that, even though it's kind of a stylized movie is the big Lebowski, uh, Jeff Bridges playing the dude. And just like the thing I often say, I think I said it on episode 10 of this show when I talked about acting, um, just watch him sit in a chair. He will sit and immediately find the most comfortable position. And it and it's total instinct. It's not. There's no. The, the actor isn't saying in that moment. Oh, you know this. This is this is how the dude would sit. It's just total instinct. <laughs> and I think Javier Bardem, just in the way that he, the way that he flirts with the character, the way that he talks to his son, mm-hmm. uh, it's it all just seems totally in the moment. And it's it. That's the thing. It's it seems like that where he and. Julia Roberts is an actress who has a fair amount of charisma herself, yeah. even in a character that I don't like and I don't think is really there. And I'll get more to that in a little in a little bit. But the scenes between them, it's like she starts to come alive as an actress, and the two of them have a nice rapport. 
and it's just so nice to see. You mm-hmm. know, I have nothing against watching a romantic comedy or a romance in yeah. general. Oh, no. Provide there's a genuine spark, and there was. Yeah, and like there's there's elements of him also that I like that he's kind of quirky a little bit, mm-hmm. but he never uh, he's never second guessing himself about any of that either yeah. as the actor or the character. Like he likes to make mixtapes with like Phil Collins and stuff, and yeah. she even makes fun of him for it in the yeah. movie. But the <laughs> It's making fun of someone who who's like, why? I don't understand what you mean. Like, this is yeah. great. I love this. Yeah, and it's just it's an unself conscious character, and it's an unself conscious performance. And so I don't I don't know if I'd say the film is worth watching for these performances, but they are genuinely good performances. Mm. Uh, a few of the other things, I do think that the film is shot fairly well in some ways. Um, specifically, the section in Italy uh, where. So listeners of this or Battleship Retention probably know about uh, my uh, my super tasting in which there's a lot of food, specifically anything with any kind of spice that I have a hard time eating. Um, and that often means Italian food. Not that it's remarkably spicy, but it can be. And um, and so I, don't, I tend not to like Italian food, but the film shoots the food so well that part of me is like, ah. Oh, I wish I wasn't me in this moment. <laughs> I just wish that I could I could really go for some of that. And even mm-hmm. as she's eating pizza with toppings, I'm like, I, I would never like that. But it's like, but you know what? It does look really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's something that uh, the film needed to accomplish in that moment. Yeah, you know, yeah. it needs to look as good as possible, and it does. And the city itself looks really good. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, I think they sort of get once again the filmmaker i think gets out of the way of the natural beauty of a place yeah once it, when it hits the moments of being like a travelogue mm-hmm. whether or not it fits with the tone very well um which i think a lot of times it doesn't yeah. but it's still that part is shot well it's still pretty to look at it's still yeah. interesting to watch yeah and you so, can easily make that stuff boring oh yeah absolutely um and i'm trying and make it just seem very flat and right. who cares um, I'm trying to think of the other things that I like about the movie. There isn't much. But the stuff that I've mentioned already is, you know, a, tra- a travelogue film needs to look good, and it mostly does. Hmm. In a road movie, which is what this kind of is, the supporting characters need to be interesting and played well, which a number of them are. Um and we need to have a sense of who they are, and we have that as well. And so there are definitely good aspects to the film, and I will, I will acknowledge those. Um, and the film is, in its goals, it is somewhat ambitious, um, which is no small thing. But the more ambitious you are, the further you know, the farther you have to fall. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Yeah, and so, so those are. So, uh, is there anything that that? you liked about the film that I have not mentioned yet. I don't think so. I think we covered all the things that I enjoyed. Okay. So, um, I don't necessarily want to get into all the things that I dislike because I filled several pages of notebook paper with that. Um, And I want to try and boil it down to a few key things. There's probably like four major things, I would think. Do you know what what they might be off the top of your head? I have thought of at least three of them at separate times. Okay. And I think... Um, well, we'll go, th- we'll go through a few of them and we will end with the character of Liz. That's exactly, yeah, I was thinking okay. the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, okay. <laughs> uh, 
Let me think what I want to start with then. Because I'm thinking of different aspects of the character okay. that I don't like, but I think probably it's best to describe it all as one thing. Yeah. So I'm not trying to reorganize it in my mind um, for how to go about that. What were some of the things we talked about in the grown moments? I'm trying to remember that now. Well, I, I mean, I will lead with uh, something we've already touched on a little bit, which is just the... And I know it's going to be very easy to say, like, oh, well, Tyler's a Christian, so he has a problem with this, that, or the other thing. Um, you know what? Maybe maybe if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't have a problem with the film's version of spirituality. Um, so it, it's entirely possible, but I am, and so I don't know. But what I will say is I feel like it doesn't matter what uh, religion you believe in, I mean, I think it matters in the long run, but uh, in this moment, it's if a film treats your religion the way this film treats, I'm going to go ahead and say Hinduism, um, I feel like you would be insulted. It's just, and again, movies are very, I've said it in past episodes, movies are, it's hard to show faith of any sort in a, in a movie in a visual medium Mm -hmm. where unless you feel like you're like, unless you want to have a visual representation of God, which is a hard thing to do as well. Um, you're based at that point, you have to base it entirely on good writing, good performances and a, and a confident director who knows when to cut, knows when to stay and that sort of thing. And so, uh, this film mostly does not have that. And I, I don't feel like it's a director who feels like there is a lot to this more than right. like any more than there would be to like a self-help book any more than yeah. there would be to a chicken soup for the soul. It's, it's kind of a, just sort of an attitude. that's like, this isn't, this is a comforting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all there is to it. So, and it's, and that's the thing is what's infinitely more cinematic is her relationships with men. And so the film spends a lot of time on that. And the film even knows that to a point because it open mm-hmm. it kind of opens with that. In the yeah. opening monologue, she's talking about relationships and it keeps coming up and people are asking her like why don't you have a man? And Yeah. Um and and that's the thing is so the title is Eat Pray Love. And it is structured and and the the story is structured that they're all equally important. They are all central to her journey. Um, I got the eating part. I got, I mean, that that whole section and her and letting herself go and enjoying uh, the food that she's eating and not being, you know, not counting calories or carbs or anything like that. Uh, that is very palpable. We get a strong sense of that. The love part, we get a very strong sense of that because she's going back and forth with another character. The prey part the 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 writers seem to have no confidence and they seem to maybe they thought they were capturing it well but more than anything they just seem it, it just all comes back to talking with another character and it turns into just another relational thing and once again i could and this is a thing where if it were a documentary and i'm sure in the book spelling out what she believes why she believes it how she arrived there um those are better mediums, media, whatever, um, to show that. And so part of me wonders, well, what could the movie have done? 
and it's already at 220. Yeah. You know, could it add, could have added another 10 minutes in which she's talking with the guru, talking with other people that believe these things. Um, and that more than anything, I mean, I, I went into the film kind of worried that it would be, that there would be kind of, if you'll pardon me, sort of a, some like pop religion sort of thing. And there isn't that because there isn't anything. There's really no religion. The bi- the big thing is the one thing that I noted, and I don't know if the film does. Uh, when she's in Bali, she's there to learn from. This is a different guy. This is a guy that is not considered to be a guru. He's considered to be a medicine man, a wise man, but a man that is rooted very firmly in spirituality. Yeah, and there's, um, there's talk of meditation in both, and he kind of encourages her yeah. to continue in the meditations that she learned yeah. while she was in India. And the whole the whole thing that she the whole reason she's in Bali is to talk to this guy, but. Then she meets Javier Bardem, and there's a scene in which they're hanging out, and she mentions, and they're enjoying themselves, and she mentions, I haven't gone to see this guy in two weeks. And then when she eventually does go to see him, she it's been even it's been even more time, and it's clear at that point it's like okay, so she probably so she hasn't been meeting this guy, she hasn't been meditating, she's been with a man, and that's when you realize that for this character. Whether the film knows it or not, whether she knows it or not, religion just seems to be what she turns to when she doesn't it's have kind a man. Of the, yeah, the placeholder instead yeah. of a relationship. Yeah, which is something that actually the uh, the Viola Davis character mentions early on. Yeah, um, and so maybe the film is more aware of it, but I feel like it loses any hint of that. I think it views that whatever her spirituality is to be a totally positive thing all the time even though it is totally nondescript it's completely vague and she kind of drops it the minute she finds a guy yeah and to me if she, let's say she was studying christianity and then she dropped that when she found a guy it doesn't matter what the faith is in that moment just that it's clearly it, it's not. It's like uh, in Hollywood where you're talking to somebody that you find interesting, and then over their shoulder you see someone more interesting walk in. <laughs> and you're like, oh, they can help me more. I'm going to talk to them. And Faith is the person at the party that she talks to when she has no one else to talk to. Yeah. So that that was a big thing that that bothered me. And again, I just I don't know what they could have done aside from just change mediums yeah or or not make a movie <laughs> that's always an option <laughs> um yeah <laughs> the uh one one that i uh i guess this is kind of a twofold thing um one uh, another major one was uh i think in two major ways that the movie and perhaps the character are not uh seem a little oblivious or maybe myopic about the way that they look at things um the first is the cultural representation and the idea of these places mm-hmm. and their cultures. Um, they're treated almost as if they're merely vacation destinations. Right. And maybe they, there's a degree to which they are for her. Certainly Italy, she's there just to kind of enjoy herself. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like it's disrespectful to any of these places to just show them as like, you know, happy Italy. It's where people eat and they, they, you know, they enjoy doing nothing. And yeah, they, you never see anybody at their job. 
because they enjoy doing nothing. So why would you ever focus on not doing that? (laughs) Right. So the, there's a false sense of what the place actually is and that it's some kind of escape. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas it's a real place with real people who have jobs, who have miserable lives, some, some who have good lives, but like it's, it's a place like any other. It's not a, uh, it's not an ideal, idyllic fantasy world. Yeah. Neither is India. Neither is Bali. And this and, is this is uh, represented visually by when she's in New York, and admittedly in a bad place emotionally. But when she's in New York, marriage isn't going great. Uh, it's dark and raining mm-hmm. and just kind of miserable. But then, anytime she's somewhere else. It's sunny. It couldn't be. It's the best time of year ever. It's not too hot, not too <laughs> cold. It's the best thing. It's like, like, did the Italian Board of Tourism sponsor the film? Because yeah. that's how it seems. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's a moment in the India segment where she's being driven from the, uh, presumably from the airport. It's, to, it's the introduction to Italy. Right. So it's f- nighttime. In, to India. It's India. Pardon yeah, yeah. me. Yes. Um, she's in a taxi cab and she's driving through all these places and this is maybe my guess is that this is the only part of the movie where maybe they're actually in India and the remainder of it is shot on on a stage somewhere mm-hmm. or in California somewhere uh, because the rest of it she's in a uh, like a like an ashram I guess yeah yeah um, which is like seems to be enclosed they they stay there the whole time mm-hmm. but on this drive through she's seeing like kind of uh, like dirty streets squalor trash like all these things and then suddenly when she gets to this place her destination it's just pretty and and you know clean all the time yeah and it it just seems strange to me that the the movie can have her drive through this stuff show her driving through part of the bad part of of india and then say well but actually her experience is like this so never mind all that just yeah never mind the man behind the curtain yeah um and then you know, the same goes for Bali. They don't really, there's no visual representation of it. There's no disconnect between the two different ways that you see it visually there. But I, I know very little of Bali, but I assume that the, there are as many negatives as there are positive. It's not all uh, parties on the beach and right. uh, cabanas with the canopy beds and air blowing through the island breezes blowing through every day. Yeah. I mean, people vacation in Mexico pretty regularly, but they mm-hmm. do not vacation in the part of mexico that i went to for my mission trips yeah which was the slums of juarez yeah and just but that doesn't mean they're not there yeah um and that's the thing is the attitude winds up being a little patronizing it's not merely grass is always greener on the other side it's not merely that uh it's this idea of wherever i am is not good wherever i want to be is better and if there's somebody already there, then clearly their lives must be better. And they and they are wiser and they know more yeah. than I do. They know more simply because they live in the... And it's just like... I have so much to learn from them. Right. I will learn it and then I will go back to civilization. It's so weird because there's this... Traditionally, the concept of like the other has for a long time been something that's more like negative because it's something unfamiliar and something outside of the self that is, Mm -hmm. that is strange and, and maybe confusing in some way. And somehow elements of, of Western culture have turned this around to like the other is the positive. Like anything that I am is negative. Anything that other people have and know is better. Yeah. 
It's, it's very strange. And, th- and that's the thing is like the idea of the other being negative. That's not necessarily great no, either. No, but it is that it's, it's not unlike, uh, avatar. If you'll excuse me. Well, yeah, um, no, it's very, yeah, just, well, just, you know, listeners well, might, re- might remember my rather zealous avatar <laughs> episode w- that I had to apologize for later in my tone, not in what I said. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's this, uh, this idea of going somewhere, looking around, being like, you know, you guys got it worked out. No, I'm never going to live like this. I've got a real job. But, boy, oh, boy, you guys really have it worked out. And just because at that point, it, here's the thing. Uh, a phrase that we come back to time and time again on this show is seeing people as people. Hmm. Now, what that often means is you see someone you don't agree with or someone that you feel like is less than and you you take away their humanity. You only see where they oppose you and that's all. You never see them as a person. Well, and that's that's where we go most of the time. But there's the flip side of that where you see somebody because of where they live or the type of life they're living, you see them as like, oh, you're so great. Everything here is so great. And it's like, well, you're not seeing that. If you're not seeing a person's problems, you're not seeing them as a person either. You're just seeing them purely as a rep- uh, you know, representation of something. Mm-hmm. Never as a person that you can engage with or talk to or whatever. And, and I feel like that's what this film has. It, it winds up being, I mean, it really is like a travel log, but it's also just this vacation thing where it's like, hey, rich people. Do you want to relax for a while and feel as though you're growing as a person? Come to these places. Don't go to the slums, though. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to go there. Yeah. And that leads me to the second moment where I think both the film and the character may be missing something, uh, is the idea of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, all of this is possible because this character has... Uh, maybe a what seems like an unlimited income um anybody who is able to leave their home leave their job for a year is more well off than most people in the country so Mm. the idea that this is the sort of thing that helps people understand themselves that this is how you can you can be self-actualized yeah is i feel like disrespectful (laughs) to to anyone um, who's not a rich person, and that's not and and to make reference to our um, oh, what do you call it our uh, Queen of Versailles episode. That's not to imply that if you're rich, you can't have problems or whatever. Right. But when someone says, "Oh, the solution to my problem was traveling the world for a year," <laughs> like, yeah, that's not some. That's not really that helpful. No. But I do find myself wondering if the film and maybe the book, but I don't know. Um, if it's almost a version of where the viewer feels like they can live vicariously through her because they could never do this on their own. I think that's certainly part of the appeal. Um, I, what, yeah. And, and I can understand how that's enjoyable to people. I mean, that's why a lot of the, the there's a lot said about how movies in the twenties and thirties and forties were a lot about very rich people or people in high areas of society because it was kind of an escapism for, for people who, especially in the thirties were having a pretty hard time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's part of, part of the problem of it just being the fact that all this is possible because of her wealth. Um, it it just, it kind of makes everything just too convenient. Yeah. There, there, 
are very few challenges for the character. Um, and there are moments when maybe they could be, but they, you know, they're made up for it by the fact that she can just kind of do whatever she wants because yeah. she isn't. And the fact that if things ever got too fill in the blank to this or that is something that she doesn't like she can always just get a plane home and that's that's the other one of the other things and i guess this doesn't i was thinking this connects to the character but i guess it's separate uh the stakes in this movie are so low yeah like what there there is nearly no risk for her um she's never in any kind of dangerous situation uh, the highest stakes seem to be like the emotional ones, but yeah. and there are films with emotional stakes, right? And that, that are still very good. That can happen. The companion film, for example, yeah. But this doesn't really have that. She's never she never really opens herself up very much emotionally. Yeah. The closest thing is when she's in India. Richard encourages her to uh, to forgive herself, not even to forgive other people, uh, to forgive herself for something that we never even really see her blaming herself for. Um, and this is getting some into the character, but, and, and I'm fine with moving into that at this point. Yeah, I guess so. Um, um, so I guess maybe our entry into that is just by saying one of the things about the character is that, uh, she has the, the, I don't know. The, the, it might be separate. I guess what I'm, the main point I was trying to say is that there are, the stakes are very low. Yeah. So that there's not a lot to be invested in so much more than just enjoying the pretty pictures and thinking about how how good Italian food tastes. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is as as I said there are films, good films where the stakes are purely emotional. But what is often necessary from an artistic point of view in those films is a truly dynamic but also an interesting main character. And the thing that, so you and I talked pretty extensively about the movie after we finished watching it. And one of the things that I wrote down, because there's a, there's a, a scene between her and, and Felipe there at the end. And as I said, the two actors have chemistry. But when we see that Felipe is willing to do, you know, anything he can, he's willing to make sacrifices for this woman. He's willing to do all this and that he loves her and all that sort of thing. Um, the thing I wrote down in my notebook was, this character, Liz, is a blank slate. I don't know why anybody would love her. Now, she does go through... She does run through the gamut of emotion. She has sadness. She has anger. She has happiness. Humor. She has all of these things. And yet, I don't know her. Yeah. And none of this, with a, per, with a possible exception of the humor, none of those emotions are ones where we're really on board with her or understand really why she feels that way. Well, and, that's, and this gets into maybe some of the, some of the thematic a little bit, but uh, the big thing is she does seem to, like, for example, the divorce seems to come from her. First, her her husband does not want a divorce. He's willing to fight for her, mm-hmm. even if it's against her. Um, and and he certainly is not perfect. Uh, he is rather oblivious and he's rather uh, unaccommodating. Um, but he also does claim a very devout love of her. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so the divorce does come about as a function of her. She knows that she is hurting him. And then when she breaks it off with her her boyfriend after that, James Franco, um, she initiates that ending as well. Um, 
And she seems to, she's always aware of the hurt that she's caused these men. And she seems to regret it, but never so much that, that she questions the rightness of her actions. Yeah. Not unlike uh, a parent who, who like has to, you know, punish their kid, like spank their kid. And they say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Um, and I understand why a parent says that because they don't enjoy doing this thing, but they recognize it as necessary. Um, but when it comes to a relationship between two adults where there's no abuse involved, there's maybe some neglect sort of, perhaps I'm not sure. Um, like emotional neglect. I don't know. But at that point, necessary is a very subjective term. Definitely. And even, even the neglect thing, I think you could just as easily make a case that she's being neglectful in either of those relationships. Certainly Um, towards the end of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, So uh, there, I I guess the idea there is, is she, she breaks off these relationships, but we're really not, we don't really understand why she does either of these things. And we're not totally on, I am never on board with her when she makes these decisions. No. Um, I guess you, you might be able to make the case that it's because I'm thinking of it from the man's perspective, being a man. Yeah. But I really don't feel like the movie does a lot to show us why she's unhappy with these people. It's just to show us that she's unhappy with these people, which I don't yeah. think is enough. And, you know, it almost reminds me of... Uh, I've been making a lot of analogies. Uh, analogies I apologize. Um, but uh, it, it almost reminds me of... And you've seen numerous scenes in films and on television, maybe in life, of this, where somebody is... they've done something wrong and they're crying and somebody says, are you crying because you regret what you did or are you crying because you got caught? You know what I mean? And it does seem to be that thing of like, they're crying because they they have to face the consequences of a choice they made. Yeah. And they regret the decision because of the consequences, not because of the decision itself. Their regret only goes back so far. And I feel like more than anything, she's like, oh, I just wish that I could have broken it off and it didn't hurt anybody Yeah. because then I could feel great about my decision as it is. I still would have made it, but I'm neglect. I'm regretting that this had an impact on other people. Yeah. Um, there's a scene, there's a, yeah, there's a, a line that I wrote down. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I just wanted to slip quietly out the door. And that's talking about when she wants to leave her first husband. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, yeah, that, that's, that's the idea is that she doesn't want to hurt anybody but it's less it seems much less because she doesn't because she feels for them yeah and more because she doesn't want to feel like the bad guy she never wants to feel like the bad guy right and if she feels guilty at all then that's just going to sour her experiences and that's that's ultimately the movie's conclusion is that you shouldn't feel bad about it you should forgive yourself and then yeah. you can just feel okay with what you do yeah and i Which, wish i had written this down but it's like if you feel bad towards somebody like you have you've let them down you've disappointed them you've hurt them whatever that part of the forgiveness is send light and love their way and then drop it mm-hmm. and here's the thing in christianity we do believe that there is room for self forgiveness that yeah. you should not hold on to your own mistakes your own sins um but at the same time, if you have hurt somebody, there al- there also is, uh, I feel, an obligation to do whatever you can to... Because there are real-world 
consequences. There are spiritual consequences and real-world consequences. Through salvation and Christ's sacrifice, we have managed to avoid the spiritual consequences. That doesn't mean that there are none in the real world. And in the real world, we have to deal with them. And that's and so if we've hurt somebody we need to we have to try to do whatever we can to to make the hurt less whatever that might mean yeah. in any circumstance and it may it may not be something we're able to do but there should at right. least be an effort and and, right. and certainly with her husband there is no effort to no. to uh, resolve to um to reunite any ties or anything like that when you think about it from a from an outside view um, somebody who hurts people and then, in theory, sends light and love their way and then moves on, mm-hmm. uh, from a practical standpoint on the outside, looks a lot like a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just because you have, have because you've made peace with it within yourself, um, if you've hurt these people and then you just think you can make peace within yourself about it and then move on, yeah. that's a terrible person. Yeah, and there's a scene where when she's leaving her boyfriend and she's going to go to uh, she's going to go on her trip. Yeah. Um, and th- there were there have been scenes there there are scenes in which he feels as though she's smothering him because she got into this relationship right after her marriage ended, and so yes, she probably was a little a little codependent on him, and so. Um, but he's kind of maybe a little rude about it. I mean, it, it definitely sees in that moment her point of view, not so much his. But um, anyway, as she's going to leave, he's really upset about it. And he says, he, you know, he says this very, it's James Franco. So, of course, it's charming. Um, he says, if you stay, we'll have Indian food every night, you know, because he knows she's going to India. And she says, you never asked me to stay. And then she gets in a cab, and then she just says, go, go, go. I think that's supposed to be felt... I think we're supposed to feel like that's an empowering moment, when really it's kind of petulant. Uh, yes, it is. It's saying, yes, I recognize what... I, I recognize you're trying to make things better now, but it's too late. And then, it, to me, it seems interesting that she says that, gets in the cab, and says, go, 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 as if to say, all right, I don't want to be faced with the sadness that my lack of forgiveness of other people is causing now if you'll excuse me i'm off to forgive myself <laughs> yeah i don't want to deal with my action with my actions with the, and the consequences they might bring yeah. let's go off to italy and uh, enjoy my disposable income yeah and it's just and that that's the thing and so you know this is here's where someone could say oh it sounds like you're actually bashing the real elizabeth gilbert uh i don't know i don't know how these conversations went it's likely that she doesn't remember how they went. I don't say mm-hmm. as a function of her, but when's the last time you remembered word for word an important conversation you had? Mm-hmm. I don't remember what I just said, you know? And so, like, <laughs> um, so I don't know how this went down. Yeah. All I know is the movie. And in the movie, this character is, if you'll pardon me, emotionally monstrous. And uh, and at the end of the film, I, I don't have this in front of me, but uh, uh, at the end of the film, when she has found happiness, it cuts to her ex-husband. And you see him walking down the street laughing with his new wife and his new child. Mm-hmm. You see her ex-boyfriend uh, on the stage getting applause and smiling and happy. 
And it's like, oh, they wound up happy too. So it's fine. You don't have to feel bad. And what I wrote down was, everybody winds up happy in spite of Liz's best efforts. <laughs> um, and, and it's... That that's just a, a happy coincidence if that's the reality. Yeah. Like it's not as if she did anything that made those situations better. Yeah. It could be that James Fran in reality, it could have been that James Franco's character is going to be unhappy for the rest of his life. Yeah. It could be that uh He enjoys uh, that applause and then he goes home and to an empty <laughs> apartment and starts crying. <laughs> he goes home and Strojek's playing and he hangs himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um or or, you know, what's just because you Show us that, well, Billy Credup turned okay. He turned out okay. He ultimately got what he wanted. Uh, the only reason that ha- that's happening is because the movie decided that happens. Like, there's no yeah. rationale to say that this is the logical conclusion because of what happened in this movie. It's just kind of, it's just kind of a, a, I don't know if that, that might be a deus ex machina. I don't know. <laughs> it It feels like it. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, it's almost like. It's like in Murderball. Did you ever see Murderball, the documentary? No. So it's it's quadriplegics. Who, I got it mixed up with Rollerball. That's a very different film. <laughs> yes, it is. Murderball is an Oscar-nominated documentary <laughs> um, about uh, quad rugby, quadriplegic rugby um, in the, uh, pardon me, it's not the Special Olympics, it's the Paralympics, mm-hmm. which is a different thing. Um, and there's there's this guy who is recently injured he's in a, he's confined to a wheelchair and he's ta- he's asking about quad rugby and he's like well you know what happens if i get the ability to walk again because some of these guys do so through you know uh rehabilitation and therapy they're they're actually able to walk um and he says what if i'm able to to walk again and the guy and and the guy that he's talking to who has made quad rugby his life and he's kind of a superstar at it. Um, he says, well, then you walk <laughs> like that. Then, yes, you can't play this anymore, but you have this other amazing thing. Like yeah. in that moment, you realize, oh, this guy has made he's really made a go of his circumstances. And has gained, you know, success in a way that he never would have otherwise. But if it came right down to it, he'd prefer to walk. Hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's like, yes, James Franco's character, he might have success in this way. But he probably would have preferred to have this relationship keep going. Yes, Billy Crudup, he did seek out somebody else. He did get over it. But that was only because what what else could he do? Yeah. He had no choice. This thing, the the thing that he wanted initially was taken from him, and you know what? Maybe early on, maybe he did not work to keep it, and there is that. You're married, I'm married. We we all have our moments when we're like, oh, we probably have not treated this person as well as we could have. We probably were not as as um, I don't know. We might have taken them for granted or or whatever. Um, we weren't very accommodating. Like we all have those moments, and that's the thing. As not. It, Hopefully this is not just a function of me being a man, but it's me being a spouse. You know, I look at Eat, Pray, Love, and I say, oh my gosh, the, what a, how horrifying. Because at any point, I mean, I've been married o- over eight years now. Ugh, that's weird. <laughs> anyway, I've been married over eight years, and we've had our good patches, we've had our bad patches. And if I left every time things were going rough... I would have been married, I'm going to say, two years. 
I think anyone who's been married for any length of time can say that they've had moments in their marriage that has looked worse than what seems like the the depths of the worst part of uh, Liz's marriage. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's just... And that's, and that's the thing, is just... Uh, it's so... I feel bad that we're bashing the character, but that's the thing. The character is so rooted in herself at all times. That's the that's the biggest problem I think with first becoming attached to this character because she's not. I don't think I don't find her likable throughout the entire film. Right. Um, and then the, where we disagree with the philosophy as a whole is that it is a character that is at heart selfish, yeah. continues to be selfish, and triumphs through selfishness. Yeah, and it's just. And thankfully, the film did not get very good reviews, and I don't know, you know, those that saw it, I don't know what they thought of it. But I have to assume that there are people that watch this, and they are empowered, and they feel like, you know what, I don't ask for enough. And I'm not saying, I'm not talking about confidence, uh, in which, you know, you as a person, you do have a right to your opinion. You yeah. do have a right to any, you have a right to, you know, in if you are in a in a marriage where your spouse is not treating you well, you do have a right to say, you're not treating me well. Yeah. Or, or I mean, if you're in a in a marriage or relationship where you're just not happy, that's at least something to be addressed. That's not yeah. something to be swept under the rug and ignored because, damn it, you're married and you got to stay that way. Yeah. But uh, the the way that this presents this is not. Uh, what am I trying to say? I lost my train of thought a little bit. Where were you? What were you saying? Um, that uh, that circumstances can be bad. But uh, sorry, did you? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think that got me there. This happens. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the circumstances can be bad, and they should be they should be dealt with. But it, yeah. this movie does not present a responsible way of dealing with your circumstances. Right? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. It basically just says, "Run." If yeah, you're not happy, of. run. Yeah. Yeah, you might hurt someone, and yeah, you might not be happy about it, but you know what? Forgive yourself. Mm. And you know what? They'll be fine. They don't need you. You know, and that's the thing is that, I mean, it really is kind of, a, I think, a sociopathic philosophy. It kind of, of is. And it, the, the, the idea of, I can do anything I want to somebody, and hey, people are pretty resilient. If I break up with someone, they'll probably find someone else, and, and that person will make them happier than I ever could. Yeah. And it winds up looking maybe in a it, it can look almost f like modesty or or humility, but what it really is is doing kind of these mental and emotional gymnastics so that you can do what you want to do right. and make it and convince yourself that everyone else will be fine. Yeah. So it's uh, that you know oddly enough that's the thing is. More so than any spiritual thing that I disagree with in the film, that philosophy, which in this character is much deeper than her spirituality, she basically seeks out the type of spirituality that tells her she's right. Mm -hmm. You know, it starts with her. And whatever feeds into that is good. Whatever detracts from that is bad. She found a version of Hinduism that says... You're great, mm -hmm. and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah, and there are pl I'm sure there are other versions of Hinduism, and certainly there are other religions that don't say that. Some of them may be a little too harsh and say you're pure awful. 
you know, and you should never forgive yourself. I'm not saying that's a good one either, hmm. but she, by weird coincidence, she found just the right one for her, mm-hmm. you know, and sooner or later, I mean, it's, there's a, a, a Tim Keller sermon that I've posted and I, I even posted a little, uh, clip of it, uh, uh, on the website in which he talks about if you're coming up, coming up against the truth, whatever that might be, it could be, again, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional, whatever. The truth is, ne- is almost never see. And I say almost, cause I tend to equivocate, but like the truth will never match up exactly with what you want. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it wouldn't be the truth either. E- either it wouldn't be the truth or you are just the best person. <laughs> I, that's, I feel like I say that often, that if, if what is right for you seems to, down the line, li- uh, uh, match up with what you want, you might need to re-examine with what you've decided is right for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do want to move in. We'll move into the companion film real quick, uh, which you just watched for the first time. Uh, about an hour ago, mm-hmm. one could say an hour and 20 minutes ago. Um, and it is uh, the Bob Rafelson film, Five Easy Pieces. It came out in 1970. stars Jack Nicholson and aforementioned Karen Black. Karen Black, star of, of Dinosaur Valley Girls. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said it because I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> um, the film was nominated for Best Picture, Actor, Supporting Actress, and uh, Best Original Screenplay. So... Uh, I saw the film a number of years ago. I think I was still in high school. It's weird to me how I just discovered movies. Mm-hmm. There are some movies that I knew about because they were nominated for Oscars or they wound up on the AFI Top 100 list or whatever. But Five Easy Pieces, what? I mean, it is the film that made Jack Nicholson a leading man. Yeah. Because before this, he got people's attention in um, Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. And from that, he got this. And from this, he got everything else. Yeah. And so maybe I knew about it as a function of that, but I, I feel like not. Um, and so I just stumbled upon it. And I remember really responding to it, but I, hadn't se- I haven't seen it since then until you and I watched it tonight. And, um, and, I, and I am reminded of why I like it. And, of course, and I love it even more now, especially mm-hmm. after having watched something like Eat, Pray, Love. Where and the the stories aren't exactly the same, but the character instincts are, and um, so the story here is there's just this uh, guy working in the oil fields of I'm going to say the Bakersfield area. I believe Five Easy Pieces was shot around Taft, California, my hometown. Yeah, um, like I I thought Texas because there are some southern accents. It's the oil fields, but then I remembered. But then, the, then he drives to Los there's Angeles. There's a moment where he's easily. driving to Los Angeles, and it seems to be just for the day. And then I was yeah. like, okay, so he's in somewhere where there's oil and close enough that yeah. he can get to LA in a day. So yeah, I think. I think. And it's, then he drives up the coast to Washington. Which, yeah. if you're driving from Texas, and he says it'll be a couple of days. It's like if you're driving from Texas to Washington, it'll that's be longer a, than that. That's a long drive. Um, and so, uh, and I also do, from an accent standpoint, I do know that a lot of people, including my dad, uh, wound up in California because of oil. And uh, so a lot of Texans came into it's, it's interesting. Uh, California, which politically is a predominantly liberal state right in the middle where the oil fields are. It's remarkably conservative politically because Mm -hmm. you got, that's where a lot of transplants from other parts of the country. I mean, there's trans transplants everywhere, (laughs) but people are there for oil. And so, um, 
so yeah, th- so that already is kind of interesting um, to me that it takes place there and it could have taken place you know somewhere else. That's one of the things that I like about the film is how specific it is. Mm. There's a lot of general things yeah. that uh, that it talks about, but by having it take place in the oil fields of California, which are lesser known, mm-hmm. and then it's revealed that Jack Nicholson's character Bobby is from a family of musical geniuses <laughs> and yeah. he himself is an accomplished pianist. Yeah. Um, and that he just fled from this family years ago for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And you would never know that this very blue collar working class guy could, if he wanted to be, you know, in a symphony somewhere or an orchestra or something like that. Yeah. And so, um, so that I think is very, it's weird. Sometimes in movies these days, they'll try to get specific and there, there'll be a quirk to it, but the quirk almost seems too clever. This seems like just a thing. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a more natural specificity to it. And I feel like a lot of times, especially in movies now, when they set something in a place because then they can say, well, everybody knows what this place is. Like it yeah. takes place in LA. You know what LA is. We don't have to go to any trouble to, to show the place or right. we can just present it as the stereotype of whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do that with movies that take place in the South. Um, uh, you know, it's another movie that just struck me kind of felt like this in its specificity with something that's not necessarily familiar, but seems real is, um, to the wonder it takes place a lot oh, yeah. of it in, uh, rural Oklahoma. Yeah. And I, I've spent very little time in Oklahoma, but I, I see it in that movie and, it's unique enough that I know it's somewhere I haven't been, but somewhere that I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing. And is, and by having these, and then a good portion of it takes place in Washington, not Seattle. Yeah. You know, and so it takes place in California, but it's not San Francisco or Los Angeles, Washington, but not Seattle. Like it's all these other places. And somehow that just lends an air of realism to it. I think, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and so uh, so the the character who's working in the oil fields and has just discovered that his girlfriend is likely pregnant. I don't know if it's ever official. They never say it yeah. specifically, but that's that's another thing I kind of like. There's a lot of the, the movie's not making an effort to overexplain everything to you, right? Um, they kind of set up the situations, and you can you can get the they have more faith in the audience mm-hmm. um, than. I'd say a lot of mainstream movies today, I feel like they have to explain everything. There's that one guy in the audience who might not get it. We got to make sure he knows what's going on. Yeah. And I'd rather just not make a movie for that guy. (laughs) The guy who's like, now, wait a minute. Where did the Avengers come from? Now, there are movies to be made for that guy, (laughs) but they don't all have to be made for that guy. Maybe that's (laughs) what I mean. Um, And so, yeah, so he, uh, so he is, he gets tired of his job and so he quits it. And then when he finds out about his girlfriend being pregnant, he, he's basically going to leave her. Yeah. And he t- tells her as much and just says, I'll, I can send you. And, and what happens is he finds out that his father has had some, has had a couple of strokes and that gives him a reason of like, Hey, I got to go visit my dad. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Goodbye. goodbye forever. Yeah, goodbye life. <laughs> um, and so, but his girlfriend, is just so pathetic, played by Karen Black, uh, is just so pathetic, and she threatens to kill herself and all these things. Um, so she's very dramatic, but she's also rather uh, childlike, 
childish, but also childlike. Mm. Um, and so finally he's like, all right, do you want to come along? <laughs> and so they, so they go up to, to Washington to visit his family and she has no idea who he is or where he came from. Mm-hmm. So she is, and he, by the way, he leaves her in a motel for two weeks because he doesn't want her with to see no him. car with no in car. A town she's never been to he just leaves her in a hotel with two weeks and she doesn't have his number she has no way to get in contact with him. yeah and so he uh <laughs> so and that we laugh at this but of course it's that's quite cruel yeah um he doesn't want to take her to his family it's not that he would necessarily be embarrassed by her to his family because he doesn't necessarily care much about his family mm-hmm. it's more just it's one more thing to manage. Yeah. And I don't know. Is that, is that the vibe you got? I think there's that. I think there is an element that he just doesn't know how to, to present him to his family. And there is the, the relationship with the other character. Yeah. Which I, I wondered if that's part of it too. Like he, he knew there was something with this other, I I guess she's his sister-in-law. Uh, I don't I think I basically I don't think uh, it, there's this other woman there that is, I think, engaged to his brother. OK, so um, and he uh, has, I think, a history with her. There's, yeah, there's clearly some kind of history between the two of them um, because there's you can tell there's a sexual tension. Yeah. Um, and so I wondered if maybe part of it is he expects her to be there. So he doesn't want um, Rayette. Rayette. Yeah. He doesn't want her around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that. there's several reasons to it, but again, still, it is yeah. rather cruel. And he's a, I mean, that here is a difference between the two movies is that uh, uh, he's never made out to be a very good guy. No, um, he doesn't. He 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 is definitely selfish for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, he has moments where he goes back and where he, like you said, he kind of flip flops back and forth where he will. Uh, case in point when he says he's just going to leave Rayette and then he comes back and says, all right, come with me. Like that's a, yeah, a flip flop there, but he's still the type of person that was going to leave her, even if he yeah. didn't ultimately. And he is still the type of person that leaves her for two weeks. And, yeah. uh, you know, even if he, he cheats on her pretty readily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's clear from early conversations with his family that they, that he, they go long stretches where he does not return back to the house and they have no idea where he is. They talk about in the past, they've debated hiring a private detective and mm. to, to find him and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I wrote down a quote that he says to his, uh, his father, he says, I move around a lot, not because I'm looking for anything really, but because I'm getting away from things that get bad if I stay. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of I move around a lot, you start to wonder, okay, well, what does that mean? And he says that towards the end of the film, but you get a strong sense of, oh, he, I mean, and I, I don't necessarily want to ruin the film for people because it's not a film that's incredibly well known mm. except for one, except for one scene, the scene in the cafe where he's talking to a waitress and she's not telling and she's not giving him what he wants. And so he, uh, he comes up with this convoluted way of getting what he wants, but she uh, she calls him out on it, and he says something really mean. And so, um, so th- that, if anything, is what people know about the film. And so, I don't want to ruin it, but I will say that basically, the character it ends with the character once again being selfish, yeah, and in just in just such a heartbreaking way, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is this is a film. First off, 
maybe because of Jack Nicholson being a really great actor, even then, even as so, so young a guy. Um, but also just the way the character is written, I have a strong sense of who he is, where he comes from, and not just because we see his past, but you just, and you just know he just doesn't fit anywhere, possibly because he doesn't want to let himself fit anywhere, and just, and he probably just, he genuinely seems to not like himself, but he also seems to not be too thrilled with other people either, but you can tell he does have a soft spot for Rayette. Yeah. Because he brings her along. Yeah. There are enough moments where he gives in to her, not merely because he feels like he has to. Yeah. Um, there's moments where he could not give her what he wants, but he chooses to give her what he wants because there's there's still some kind of connection there. Yeah. Like, he. that's the thing is he cares for people, but he can't – or he's unwilling to stop what he does. Mm-hmm. And he seems to know that and regret it, and he – tries to do the right thing but often can't and so there there's this tension to the character whereas and he often seems to know what he's doing is wrong but he does it anyway whereas the character of liz she regrets what she's doing but she would never not do it you know what i mean there's a big difference there yeah um and I don't know if there's ever a scene of apology. I don't think she ever apologizes. In, in I'm back to Eat, Pray, Love. I don't know if mm. she ever apologizes to anybody. I don't think she but no, she doesn't yeah. apologize to anybody. And there's this one really – there's a one scene where there's a good – it's a good bit of dialogue where Liz is, is – she's in India. She's talking to her ex-boyfriend. And um, she's crying and he's crying. And he says, you sound good. You sound stronger. And she says, so do you. And he says, well, I am an actor. And it's a nice moment because it acknowledges that, I don't know, it's, by her saying, so do you, you almost get the impression that she wants him to be doing well so that she can feel a little bit better about herself. That, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I didn't destroy him. But then he says that very, uh, fairly devastating line of, well, I'm acting. Yeah. You have hurt me a lot. And if I sound stronger, it's because it's I don't... face I'm putting on. Yeah. And so um, so you get a little bit of that. You get a little bit from her, but not very much. I don't think she ever comes out and says, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's, I'm sorry, but... Yeah. Um, whereas you do get genuine apologies from Bobby in Five Easy Pieces, but you also get his nature and that he just can't seem to stop himself. And the film is, it it ultimately is very, he's just, he's a tragic character. Yeah. Made all the more, and, and so, and deeply frustrating because he's hurting people around him. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, and so I don't want to spoil the end, but it's a, it's a very, I just said the word devastating, but it's a very devastating ending emotionally, I think. Um, but uh, but yeah. So if you haven't seen Five Easy Pieces, seek it out. It's good stuff. Um, but I do want to. I want to see if. Uh, let's see. I already read a few quotes here. Um, okay. So I want. So uh, there's a character in Five Easy Pieces named Catherine, and uh, she's talking to Bobby, and then uh, and then I'm gonna. Qu- so I'm gonna quote her and something she says to Bobby, and then I'm gonna quote something that Felipe says to Liz. And this should give you a general idea of the philosophy behind both of these movies. 
She says, you're a strange person, Robert. I mean, what will it come to? What will you come to if a person has no love for himself, no respect for himself, no love of his friends, family, work, something? How can he ask for love in return? I mean, why should he ask for it? So that's a very complex idea. It is saying there's nothing wrong with loving yourself. There's also other people around. And if yeah. you're going to ask people of uh, ask other people for love, you should probably be willing to give of yourself a little bit. Yeah. Um, contrast that with uh, a line that Javier Bardem does his best to sell in Eat, Pray, Love, where he says, balance means not letting anybody love you less than you love yourself. And that basically just says... And that's... And I will say, I keep coming back to marriage, but I, that's often what the what the film is about. Um, I've no doubt that there are times when Jen has loved me less than I've loved me, and I know, and I know that there are times when I've loved her less than she loved her. And so when it says, "Don't let anybody love you less than you love yourself," so that means one of two things: either you demand that they love you more which I believe is one of the big big themes of Citizen Kane and why he winds up so alone. Or you leave them. You know, it's like, I'm not going to let you treat me this way. That's the kind of thing people say when they right before they storm out. Mm. And so one says, you're right, don't let anybody ever treat you a certain way. One says, it is important to love yourself, if for no other reason, so that you are then better equipped to love other people. Because then you will, if you'll pardon me, deserve love a little bit more. You know? And it's just, one is an emphasis on other people and our relationship to other people. One is, people only matter insofar as how they are to you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one film was made in 1970. One film was made in 2010. So there's a 40-year difference. And in that time, I feel like... And this was, you know, at the tail end of the 60s when it, when you're starting to get a certain degree of, you know, what is it, the, the me generation and, and all that? Yeah. I, I think I think the idea, like the central idea of Eat, Pray, Love is more prevalent now than it was then. Mm-hmm. But I think, I don't think it's just that it's, uh, that it's because we've come to that point now. Because I think there were as, I think it's a type of movie. I think because they're there are movies nowadays that more uh, espouse the sort of five easy pieces view. Whereas mm-hmm. there were movies then that like, for instance, love story came out around a love means time. never having to say you're sorry. Exactly. Which is yes. a similarly selfish way of looking at love. Yes. And it's, but it, although it's a weird thing because Ally McGraw says that to Ryan O'Neill as he's apologizing to her, as opposed to he demands an apology from her, and then she says, "I'm sorry, love means never having to say you're sorry. Um, you have failed." Yeah, and so so that's the thing. So even in that moment, mm. though it's a sentiment I think is ridiculous, even in that moment she's using it as a way of extending grace to him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so like it's such a it's and no, I don't get me wrong. Uh, selfishness is not a new thing. Yeah, but now it's. I don't know. It reminds me of a uh, of a quote um, from Network, in which um, Howard Beale says something to the effect of, "You know, other countries are other countries are just as bad as the U.S., but we're the most advanced, so we're just getting there first. 
and so and it's just about like we have so many more tools to cause our own destruction now (laughs) and in the same way i feel like now what with like you know the self-help movement and just so and you know don't get me wrong i love the internet but (laughs) basically and but like with technology the internet you you have more power now than you ever have to surround yourself only with what you like and agree with and you don't really have to engage with people that aren't you and people that will challenge you. And so I feel like, Mm. yes, there's always been selfishness, but now we've turned it into a sort of art form, Mm. I think. And so, um, I also feel like part of it, and now we're just going into sociological theory, I think, but I, I've always felt like, um, part of it is the, the pendulum swinging back and forth between the way that, uh, like parenting patterns. Mm -hmm. And I think when, people like when we were kids and there's probably like a 10 to 15 year window there um it was a time when parent there was a lot more of that you can do whatever you want to do parenting Mm -hmm. like whatever you like is like we'll give you whatever you want Mm -hmm. um very kind of coddling i think um and i think that might in a way also lead to this type of thinking the Um, idea of and that's the thing is it's it's a cliche to say but it it is something that genuinely does happen there are there are schools and such where so now i I worry that we're getting too political but i will say that there are schools and organizations there that will they'll have a soccer game but nobody keeps score because no one wants to feel like they've nobody wants to lose exactly or like the schools where they don't have they don't have letter grades because then Mm -hmm. you know people it'll it'll ruin their self-esteem as if the self-esteem is something that needs to be like fiercely protected or or children won't be able to function Uh, i i think you should think of it the same way that we think of like germs like if you keep someone's if you keep children away from all germs then they end up getting more sick because they don't build up those immunities in the same way if you allow children to have a little have their self-esteem broken and at times it allows them to be better equipped to deal with uh, yeah you can you get stronger and you also recognize that you're not the only person in the world right Again, that's my opinion about sociology. <laughs> about sociology, I have no children, so there are a lot of, uh, you know, I, I can't. That you know of high well, five. <laughs> that, that was, I, I did not participate in that high five. <laughs> you were, you have been tricked. Um, but anyway, that all that to say that I, I, I think that may be one of the, um, one of the things that has resulted in in a more of a culture of feeling like you have to please yourself and make sure that you're you are that you're being true to yourself making yourself happy and that's the thing is while i'm fine with being true to yourself it's weird how much like how much those two things have become intermingled the same thing being true to yourself means being happy all the time right and not settling for for something that will make you not happy um and that's the thing is I, I'm all for being true to yourself and quote unquote finding yourself. And that can mean any number of things. Um, it could mean re- finding out what your passions are in this life, you know, and just finding out what you're genuinely good at and what you feel like you would like to do. And like, that's, those are legitimate goals. Um, but yeah, so much of eat, pray, love does seem to be less find what you like as opposed to run away from the things you don't. 
mm-hmm. um, instead of engaging with them. So um, I do want to uh, quote a couple of things here um, from the Bible, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, the first is Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that could apply to any number of things. Um, okay, second, uh, here we go. Now, when I found, I was, I was familiar with this passage, but not so specifically. So this is 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. When I, in preparation for this episode, when I stumbled upon this passage, I realized that so many of these terms and these descriptors could be used towards the character of Liz Gilbert. It, it astounded me. And so I'm going to read through them. And then there's a sentence at the end that might be worth paying attention to. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, that is that is harsh. Yeah. You know, and there are people who say that the Bible and Christianity are way too harsh, and they could look at something like that and say, that's pretty harsh mm-hmm. to have nothing to do with these people. Shouldn't we engage with these people? Shouldn't we try to minister to these people? And I don't know, what, what would you... What would you say to that? I've been thinking about this for the last few hours, but what first instinct, what would you say to that? Uh, I don't know. That's a hard That's a hard one to answer. Yeah. Um Well, throw this out there. The Bible also says, though I don't have it in front of me, not to cast pearls before swine. And if you're literally dealing with somebody who is all of these things, <laughs> well, then they're probably not going to listen to you. Mhm. And so and what might happen is there you know it starts with people will be lovers of themselves which is something we all are i'm not suggesting we hate ourselves i'm not suggesting we despise ourselves we should love ourselves because god loves us and thus we are lovable as a function of his love mm-hmm. so this is not a self-hate kind of thing yeah. but what it means when it says lovers of themselves it means putting yourself above every Uh, any and everybody and so we all are naturally bent towards that and so if you spend i feel like if you spend enough time with somebody who is genuinely all of these things i feel like it's just a matter of time before something breaks through and you start to think you know what they might be right Mm -hmm. maybe on this one issue maybe they might be right Mm -hmm. and so there is something to be said for you know not letting not leading yourself right into temptation yeah but anyway so that was that was so it's a combination of don't don't try to minister to i mean try to minister to everybody sure but after a certain point you'll realize this person isn't listening and all they're doing is frustrating you and confounding you and all of these things and so really after a certain point you do need to walk away 
Um, and that's biblical. So that's good. That's not merely me saying, ah, here's what I, here's what I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I will end with this because the film ostensibly, um, is about Liz seeking out answers, whatever those might be. And so I'll throw this out there. This is Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So those, that's, those are very positive statements. Those are saying, if you are looking, you will find it. Well, Liz is ostensibly looking, and she doesn't find it. Uh, and... And that, I think, is what I want to get to, is the idea of if you're really looking for what Josh and I were talking about is the truth. If you're genuinely looking for the truth, recognizing that it might not coincide with what you want. Yeah. This isn't really a character who's seeking to learn anything. It's more a character that's just seeking self-validation. Yeah. And... That's and if a, you're looking for that, you'll probably find it oh, too. Yeah, sure, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and those are those are totally those are two totally different attitudes to come to something in hopes of uh, coming closer to the truth or learning something or uh, yeah. I, I guess either of those things are commendable. I think from a human standpoint and from a biblical standpoint. Yeah. But I feel like the other one is is much more self-serving mm-hmm. and is less productive. Yeah. And there's a there's a line that I don't have in front of me, but it's something to the effect of it comes in the in the form of voiceover where she says, God dwells in me as me. Hmm. And that's from E. Pray Love, that. not the Bible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because um, that's the thing is, I'm with you for the first part, not for the second part. Because mm-hmm. when, basically, at that point, you're making yourself out to be God. Yeah. And literally, anything you want, anything you like, if God dwells in you, as you, it's, that, it's those last two words that really change everything. If God dwells in you, as you... And if there's something you like, clearly God must like it too. I honestly, I don't even understand how how someone can come to that conclusion. Like how someone can either write that or watch that in the movie and not think to themselves, "There's a problem with that." <laughs> you know, the idea that you are God. Like it doesn't say that, but if you think about that at all, you're saying like God and our idea of God is in me because it is me. It's yeah. like, I, I create God. Like, yeah. God is what I want God to be. God is what I want. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I feel like if, if that's appealing to you to hear that, you have to stop for a moment, step back, and yeah. think about that. What are the implications of that for how you interact with other people? Like, if you are God, if, if God is, is in you through what you want, God is what you want, mm-hmm. then why should you listen to what other people say? Like, why should you care about other people? Yeah. Why, why should you? Why, why should you not murder other people? Exactly. Like, and that's taking it all the way down the line, but that's kind of the logical conclusion. Yeah. So. I mean, it puts the self, and while from a political standpoint, I'm all in favor of the individual, but when it, from a spiritual standpoint, it puts the self above literally everything. It mm-hmm. idolizes it. Literally makes a God out of the self. Yeah. And 
so now imagine every sing- every single person on earth believes themselves to be God and then they run up against each other and it's like, well, I'm God and I say this. And the other person says, well, I'm God and I say this. <laughs> well, looks like we should kill each other. <laughs> um, as opposed to if there is indeed truth with a capital T, then that is outside of us. And that actually, it may sound frustrating. Amount, it may se- seem unfair at times, and it is unfair. Um, uh, should I delve into the, the notion of fairness? I don't think so. Um, it may seem unfair, but it actually can be quite freeing knowing that's there. I mean, I find the idea of me being God terrifying <laughs> because because that means god is because if god dwells in me as me that means he is me right now not me as i could be mm-hmm. that means god is deeply neurotic self-obsessed paranoid mm-hmm. and exceedingly judgmental of himself and others like that's not a god i want mm-hmm. to worship Hmm. You know, that's not a God that's worthy of worship. Yeah. And so. And what it boils down to is there's just not a lot of substance to that idea. Yeah. Um, and which I think I said, I said to you after I watched the film that I felt like Eat, Pray, Love could, the subtitle could be embrace the emptiness of whatever it is that you happen to want right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's kind of what it celebrates. And, uh, it can present it as something positive because she's happy at the end of the movie. Yeah. But the philosophy is if, if dwelt on more deeply, yeah, don't really hold up. Don't really have any kind of substance to them. And that's the thing is, yeah, she winds up happy, but she was probably going to be happy one way or another in the first place. Not that money buys happiness, but given enough time, she probably would have found a certain degree of happiness. Maybe not contentment, but happiness. And so, in that sense, shes I don't think she's any better off at the end than she is at the beginning. She has a guy now that she approves of. Mm -hmm. But so is she at the beginning of both of those other relationships. Yeah. And so that's the thing. So it's like, yes, it could go that way. Or you could wind up like Bobby at the end of five easy pieces. And I, again, I won't say what happens, but basically choosing yourself and just making everybody who has the misfortune to love you miserable Mm -hmm. because in the end, that's what it is. It is, it is deeply unfortunate for them that they were willing to give of themselves thinking that you were willing to do the same thing. (laughs) So, okay, I will end on that. I do not recall what the next mini-sode is going to be. Do you know what your number five is? I don't no. remember. I don't have it in front of me. But yeah, so we will try to do that, and I'll, I'll put it out on Sunday, and then I will be in Switzerland, and that should be fun. I look. I will be having dinner with one listener whose name is David, or I don't know. It's David with an E on the end. Could be David. David, that's what I thought. Maybe. But that's, I don't know. Could just be David. Yeah. You'll find out, though. I'm going to find out. It'll be very exciting. So, um, so yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, once again, I, uh, you know, the nature of this, the nature of this episode is such where it does sound like we're coming down really hard on one person. We are coming down hard on a character and the philosophy of a movie. 
which is perfectly fine to do. Um, all right. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, you can go on Facebook and join our group. You can follow me on Twitter, at More Lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Uh, let's see. I think... Oh, yeah. Don't forget, if you want to buy any of our ridiculous t-shirts, uh, go to morethanonelesson.com, click on the store, and then look up for the official More Than One Lesson merch. So, do you want Josh's dumb face on your chest? Everyone does. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.